Well, I think to create a high trust culture, um, the collaborative partnering model has gone a long way in that respect because you get much further with very positive and relationships that trust each other um, as you go through the projects from basically cradle to grave um, without that trust and each member of that team trusting each other, um, you get into difficulties with your project. And so it's much easier to have that working relationship. Hey, Construction Nation. Welcome to Lead with Trust. I'm Sue Dyer, and I've been on a three-decade journey to figure out how to make sure our construction projects succeed and produce some extraordinary results. My trusted leader journey has led me to work on over 4,000 construction projects worth over $180 billion. In this podcast, I'm here to teach you everything I've learned. One thing I know is that it starts with the leaders of the businesses and organizations that come together to build a project. If that's you, let's get going. Construction Nation, this is Sue Dyer, and welcome to episode number 50 of the Lead with Trust podcast. And today I am excited to share with you someone who I think is really a remarkable leader and has a pretty big program that's coming out in her airport. She is the Assistant Director of Aviation for the Mineta San Jose International Airport. Judy Ross. And she's here today to share with you some of her insights about airports, about her projects, about building and maintaining airports, about building a team, uh, particularly in these days when it's a little more challenging to have resources that we need, and just uh, what she's done and what she's learned along the way about collaborative partnering. So with that, let us listen in to Judy Ross. Well, welcome to episode number 50 of the Lead with Trust podcast. And this morning, uh, I am with one of my dearest friends, and I appreciate hers very much, Judy Ross. And welcome to Lead with Trust, Judy. Well, thank you, Sue. I'm really happy to be here and share the information about um, Norman Y. Mineta, San Jose International Airport. So all of you fly and you all know about Silicon Valley. And so Judy's smack dab right in the middle of all of that. So uh, we're going to get some good scoop here today, I'm sure. Plus, we want to learn. I know that she is a trusted leader and working to build a high trust environment. So we want to talk more about that. And uh, maybe we'll start off here by asking you just uh, maybe a little bit about your background, like what got you into aviation and what got you into like facilities and construction and design? Well, actually, I went to college for theater arts set construction because I designed the sets and the plays for the last couple of years while I was in high school. So here I thought I was going to go to college and study that. And I figured out the first quarter that was not me. So that's how I ended up in the airport management curriculum. And then I graduated with a degree, basically airport management. 
And I realized that my first job construction was a big part of airport management. And I had no concept of that going through college. Um, actually, on my first job, they asked me to get this runway open. It was a smaller facility. Um, the runway had been built, but the overrun area into the bay had not been. So I worked with the city and engineer to construct the overrun which was in the bay, to get this runway open, which I did. And at that point, I realized construction was a big part of airport management, and it touched every facet of any every profession here on the airport. And so if I had to look back at my younger self, I would have wished I would have taken some construction management courses throughout college, uh, because, again, it's significant to any position. And I would encourage any students studying airport management or even aviation management to uh, take a look at taking a few construction management courses as you go through college. And even young professionals, as you're getting into this profession, look at working alongside with uh, the construction professionals at your airport and what makes a successful project. So um, if I had to give any advice, that is consider early on to get yourself educated in the construction area, because everything that you do at an airport will involve an aspect of construction. I, I can't agree with you more. This is sort of the same thing that I realized the first airports that I was working on you know, were I brought was brought in, of course, because of their construction projects. But then you begin to realize that it's a facility. An airport is a facility. And so whether it's a capital project, a maintenance project, uh, a, you're rejuvenating something, it's all uh, it rounds around construction. I think that's so interesting that they don't really teach any of that in uh, when you're getting your degree in aviation management. I think that would be a very wise thing to do. Like that'd be a good minor or something. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I know that you have at uh, San Jose Mineta, you have a capital program and you have a maintenance program. So tell us a little bit about that, how it works and what you have coming out and Okay. Um, first, I'd just like to say we have several procurements out on the street right now um, and several opportunities for those that are in the um, construction and design arena. So preference, whatever I say today, just be mindful that the RFP and those um, bid documents prevail from whatever I said today. You know, as we've gone through the last, oh, I guess almost three years now, um, we've been looking at passenger recovery um, as far as San Jose. Um, we are kind of trailing the national recovery level. We're still about 5% down, but we are progressing and we're closing the gap with the national average. So um, our future does look bright and we're cautiously optimistic that we are going to come out and um, look at doing our uh, master plan. And then, of course, we have to look at our financial strength and make sure that there is the financial ability to do the projects as well. But going back to our master plan program, we were working through the CEQA documents um, almost three years before COVID came before us and affected all of us in the industry. We actually had the CEQA documents scheduled for certification 
in March of 2020, the same week when the whole country shut down. So that was interesting, having um, almost three years worth of work. And also there was a lot of uncertainty about going forward with it. However, we were able to convince our mayor and city council that um, this was the right time for planning. The CICO DACA was ready. We had engaged all our partners. And so we were able to take and get the CEQA certified in April of 2020. Uh, so we considered that a win because if we delayed it for two or three years as we're coming out of COVID, um, the coordination with all the partners that we had did and all the agencies were not sure what um, that outcome would have been. Uh, we'd continue to partner with them, but time just was to our benefit to get it, it approved. As far as the master plan, the master plan that was approved with the CEQA has two major programs. One was the runway incursion mitigation study, and the other was the terminal area development program. Uh, the runway incursion uh, study, our runway incursion projects is actually several safety improvements that came from a RIM study that we had done prior to the CEQA document. And this um, included several taxway reconfigurations and then with the major project, the construction of the Taxway Victor over on the west side of the airport. And Taxway Victor is important to us because the Taxway on the west side actually serves major high-performance corporate jets. In the past, through history, it was generally a general aviation taxiway. So with the high-performance corporate jets, we definitely have to construct that new taxiway to accommodate them. So moving on to the terminal program, which includes the enabling projects, and the enabling projects is really to provide the space for the terminal expansion. And uh, some of the enabling projects includes um, construction of the facility campus, which is a relocation of that campus from the east side to the west side. It's construction of a new belly cargo facility because that belly cargo sits right in the middle of the terminal expansion. Uh, so it's the relocation of that belly cargo facility, removing and relocating the fueling, the on-airport fueling and waste disposal facility, uh, which will be located to the north side of the airport on the east side. And then also we have our police department hangar that is in that location that will be located kind of in the facilities campus area on the west side as well. And it will be mixed in with the general aviation. So it's actually a very good location for them. We also are looking at constructing a parking garage. Um, we have approval up to 5,000 space parking garage. And the reason the parking garage is so important is it will take all the short-term parking from Terminal B and also with the construction of the hotel. So without that parking garage, we have no short-term parking for the Terminal B or its extension. Um, as far as the terminal expansion itself, as we um, clear that area with the enabling project is actually construction of 14 gates. And actually eight of those gates are temporary. We did a couple temporary projects and we knew that the gates would give us additional expansion, especially before COVID, we were growing at one of the fastest growing airports in the country. So temporary gates were built uh, and they were just gates. 
we also got a relook two gates from Terminal A, who one is in a very difficult position for the mainline aircraft to get to. And another one was just wedged in with the international facility. So those would be relocated to the extension. And also there'd be four new gates. Uh, the master plan identified that we needed a total of 42 gates, and that will give us a total of 42 gates. One of the important things to mention is, well, just four gates. It's a large project for just add four gates. Well, the temporary gates were, again, like I said, were just temporary and no additional improvements took place in the processing area. So there was no additional capacity to the ticket counters, no baggage system increases, and no baggage claim areas that were increased. And so all those components will be wrapped into the terminal expansion. So our processing systems will match our gate capacity. Wow, that sounds like a lot of stuff. And so anybody out there that's not familiar with airports, look at all of the different facilities that have to be built and then all the systems that have to happen and all work together in order to have a functioning airport. It's very complex. And that doesn't even talk about the maintenance you got to do. You know, it's an ongoing maintenance. We have well over a million dollars square feet that our maintenance staff um, very aptly takes care of and they do it in a very professional way. And so it's amazing at some of the work that they do. So with such a large, complex uh, facility that you're, you're trying to build and maintain and operate, I know that you have worked to create a culture of high trust. And so can you tell us a little bit about what you have done and what you plan on doing to create and continue to create this high trust culture? Hope you're enjoying this show. Every time you and your team step foot onto a construction project, you bring your business culture with you. For any construction project to succeed, there must be a high trust culture. It doesn't matter if you're in planning, design, construction, or startup phases. The more trust you bring and build, the better your results. I've created a free resource for you, the Trusted Leader Profile, so you can know exactly the level of trust you bring to your business and projects and what you can do to boost trust. You can grab that at sudico.com slash profile. That's S-U-D-Y-C-O.com slash profile, P-R-O-F-I-L-E. And I hope that you'll remember that always high trust equals high performance, and it really depends on you. Now back to the show. Well, I think to create a high trust culture, um, the collaborative partnering model has gone a long way in that respect because you get much further with very positive and relationships that trust each other um, as you go through the projects from basically cradle to grave um, without that trust and each member of that team trusting each other, um, you get into difficulties with your project. And so it's much easier to have that working relationship. And also many are 
team in our planning and development are young professionals or they're new to the airport. And so if you develop them earlier on that you need collaborative partnering and to build that relationship and to build trust in project delivery, you can have success in delivering your project with scope, schedule, and budget, but also you'll have fun and you can create lifelong uh, friendships. I know in my past experience projects that have gone really well, even if I don't see them any day, I know I can always call them and ask for advice uh, and they're very open to it. So those lifelong partners, lifelong relationships that you gain, um, just delivering a project benefits you your entire career. Um, but I do want to say that reinforcing trust and building the culture is also an ongoing effort. You do experience turn- turnover and that's okay because if somebody on the team feels that they need to grow themselves and they have an opportunity to do so, I think that that's good for everybody. It's just trying to fill in, uh, especially in the middle of a project that will still work within the team dynamics. You also have to trust that the team makes the right decisions at the lowest level, but you also, and support those decisions. Um, you also need to be there for the team that, you know, not everything is easy, but sometimes they just need some advice. But I would encourage, don't tell them what to do, but walk them through through various questions. So they eventually will answer their own question. So it's really important for their team development to enable them to answer their own question. And then also you have to look to see how um, each team member can work through the different challenges, if it's challenges within the team or just the challenges on the project. I'd also say as a leader, it also includes working on myself because as an adult, you need to be adult learner. Um, You need to read like the trusted leader book, <laughs> Sue, and you need to see what others are doing in the industry that that works. And then take time to think forward and avert any challenges before that can happen. So I know some of the listeners here won't really know what collaborative partnering is. Can you give them a little uh, idea of what it looks like on a project? Um, collaborative partnering to me is when you not only get the project team, but all the stakeholders involved and you first work together to um, identify roles and responsibilities and how the project's going to move forward. You also create an escalation ladder. So if there's any challenges, there's a ladder that if it can't be resolved at the first level, that they can escalate it till eventually gets resolved. And then it's not only a one-time event, and of it also the the first meeting you create a charter that everybody buys off to, and how you're going to progress. But also you have to have check-in points throughout the project. If it's depending upon the size of the project, if it's monthly or quarterly, but it's identifying how the project and each individual that is part of that, which is the project team and all the stakeholders, are doing. You also identify the issues and then you work together to work through those issues. And then at the next meeting, you identify if these issues got resolved and if there's any new issues. So it's a continuous cycle all the way through the project. And it culminates at the end with lessons learned because 
you don't want to, if you learn something through the process, it's a document that can be shared with others because then others can learn if they have a similar project or a similar situation that in a project that they're working on or about to work on. So who leads these, this process? Uh, who's the, who kind of, how does this happen? I would encourage to have a professional facilitator and usually one that's certified by IPI. They have a list of um, facilitators. And again, each facilitator can fit. You select a facilitator that can fit best with you and your team and stakeholders. I find that having the consistent um, facilitator on not only one project, but multiple projects, it gives the team, especially ones that have been in in other partnering sessions, the expectations and the confidence of this facilitator that um, he or she will work through them in a very positive way to create success on their projects. So you must believe you're getting enough ROI from this process to make it worth your while. Can you tell us a little bit about what you see as your ROI? Well, as far as the ROA, um, IPI has the standard IPI. We have had, um, and I don't remember the exact dollars, but we did get an R- ROI on the partnering, um, which was a significant dollar amount. But also going beyond the ROI, we did have a project about six years ago that when I, and I started here seven years ago. So I was just getting into the collaborative partnering role and the benefits that it does bring. And we had a project throughout design that was in trouble all the way through. And then I attended the IPI conference and listened to the speakers and what they were talking about. Also, um, the, in, the, the teams that were winning awards and what they were looking at. And then I got home and I was thinking, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with this project. And it came to me, oh, we need to do collaborative partnering. And in a way that I just learned at the IPI conference. And what we did is we brought in a facilitator and right at the beginning of construction, I mean, the project was so bad, the contractor was ready to walk off the project before the project even started. So um, we did bring a facilitator. He worked through the challenges that we were experiencing. We had some focus teams to focus on some of the key issues. And what we had was a team, project team, that was redesigning the project in the field and getting the project done. And even if we had a significant number of change orders throughout the team was working together, we were able to keep the project within budget and within schedule. And so it took a lot of effort on the project team and all the stakeholders to work through that. And we wouldn't have been able to do that with somebody assisting to facilitate us through the collaborative processing, collaborative partnering process, and then come to a successful conclusion of that particular project. And at the end of the day, we won the IPI partner pilot project of the year and also the Diamond Level Award. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I know that you are working on doing some, you know, taking it to the next level, kind of building more cohesion and higher trust internally. Can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that? Okay. Um, Internally, and like success to me is not just a successful project 
but I'm also excited to see how the team develops in themselves. Um, what would a project manager, and again, we have a lot of young professionals that would be scary or difficult. And then that project manager with the project team and the stakers puts their heart and soul into this project and it creates a successful project is just to see the growth of the project manager and the project team throughout the projects. So that's to me, I'd like to see the growth of the team so it can take on an even more challenging project the next time. And I think we as leaders are to develop the team and ensure that the team embraces the challenge. And that is what's rewarding to me. So um, if you can keep growing the team, they face the challenge and they can move on to a, a more difficult project. I think a lot of the successful projects will fall in line. It sounds so smart because in an airport, you always have new projects coming. Some will be big, some will be small. Even some of the small ones can be the most challenging. Right. We know that. So that sounds like a smart way of creating almost a succession process, a leadership development process. I love that. What have you found as the biggest challenge to developing a high trust team? In developing a trust team, you have different people with different thoughts and values. And sometimes not everybody is a good fit together or a good fit for that project. And it's not that it's they're necessarily a bad person. It's just not the right combination. And I would encourage everyone to deal with that situation early. Because the sooner you address it, the sooner the team can move forward. So you always have to kind of monitor to the team and make sure um, everyone in the in the team, including the stakeholders, is a good fit together and, and for the project. The other, as I kind of mentioned, is the turnover just in the environment that we have. And it's not just turnover, it's the extended vacancies and Again, it's the environment that we're at, but it's also good to see that it provides opportunity for other team members. Again, the young professionals are in new team members that are new to airports. And so we need to ensure that the entire team has the resources to accomplish the project, but it also allows other people, uh, teams to grow with the new project or uh learn a different skill or learn a different facet of project management. So I want to talk a little bit about people not being a fit. Uh, I remember some years ago going to an IPI awards ceremony and uh, there was a team that had won uh, a gold project award, partnered award. And the contractor was just raving about this resident engineer that had been on this project. The best Ari, he'd ever worked with in his 35-year career, just couldn't, couldn't just give enough accolades to this person. And I get back to my office the next morning and my phone rings and it's a different contractor. And he is just going on about how he has the worst person on this project for the owner's team. They just can't work with him. He's the worst he's ever had in his career. It's just just not workable. And then I found out it was the same person. So I think that 
to me, demonstrated fit pretty well. You know, some people don't fit. And I remember talking to some DOTs years ago about fit. I remember the chief engineer going, you know, we're going to reinvigorate our partnering program. The first thing we have to do is is change people out when they don't fit. (laughs) And it doesn't mean they're bad or not good at what they do. It's a gelling. There's this gelling that has to happen and they don't fit. And uh, and then just allow them to be successful somewhere else. But I think that's a big issue in the industry where most people just like um, just suffer through. Yeah, um, I think it's good um, as leaders. We have to stay on top of the team and try to look at the dynamics that is going on throughout the team. So if somebody's not working out. Maybe there's something we can do to give them other opportunities in another project or just other opportunities because we want everyone to feel comfortable in the team and to have trust with each other. So it's like like you said, it's it's not that they're a bad person. It's just it's not working in that situation. And we we as leaders should be able to and we can coach them a bit through to see if that helps. But if it's not working, it probably would work in another team and then create that team, keep that team balanced. Yeah. One of the other interesting things I've seen, you were talking about young professionals and in our marketplace now, I mean, I just think that that's going to be much more of a norm. We're going to have more younger folks that are taking on roles that otherwise you might have been years past, you might have seen their 10 or 20 year seasoned people. And now we have younger folks there. And what I've seen really work very effectively, of course, you have to have that high trust relationship, but those people that are seasoned, it doesn't matter whether they're the, from the designer, the builder, a subcontractor, actually taking a mentoring role for all, any young professional, no matter where they're at. And uh, you can learn a lot, but you have to have high trust for that to happen, but that could be a phenomenal thing. So hopefully people will seek that out. Yeah. And like I said, as far as people I've worked with in past projects, um, they still are mentors to me. So um, it's creating that relationship where they feel comfortable in the environment and with the individual um, to mentor them to develop further. Well, what is your best advice to project owners as they work to develop and deliver a strong program or project? Um, Advice would be, um, and to create trust with the team because they have to trust you too, is be present for the team. Um, Be there to stress collaboration and turn any communication into a positive experience. And I mentioned that when they come to you for advice, um, guide them in the decision-making through asking questions so it walks them through to be able to come up with the um, uh, the course of action themselves. Also, it's a continuing coaching. You coach or be their mentor um, to make good decisions. And I feel the best, for me, the best success is seeing the project teams develop, um, creating relationships, as I mentioned, that last a lifetime. And of course, we want them to deliver a successful project and consider yourself that enabler of the success. Um, Sometimes they leave for the next opportunity 
And like I mentioned before, that's okay. Celebrate with them because sometimes your next opportunity is not where you're at. And like I said, I've looked at past individuals that I worked with as a mentor or just somebody I can bounce ideas off, but be the mentor for your project teams as well. And so even on the next project, even if you're not responsible for it, they may just stay in touch with you and um, bounce some ideas off you. You never know when you get a call and they're asking for your advice. That's so smart. Yeah, because it's a small industry. <laughs> you're going to run, you run into people at some point. <laughs> Absolutely. All the time. <laughs> Thank you so much, Judy. How can people find you? Um, you can email me, which is kind of the old-fashioned way, jross at sjc.org, or you can find me in LinkedIn, or you can even call me. My number is 408-392-3620. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your, your, your wisdom and also about your program, and hopefully people get an idea of the magnitude of what it takes to create an airport facility and operate it and maintain it and lead it yeah. so that it's, it's uh, great for passengers and passenger experience. So many people get on a plane, they don't kind of realize what it takes behind uh, the scenes. Okay. Well, thank you, Sue, for inviting me. I hope I provide your listeners with something new that they can take with them and use in their um, leadership um, environment that they're in. You always do. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Construction Nation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. Will you do me a favor? If you think this episode can help anyone on your team or business, please forward it to them. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And your honest review, hopefully five stars, is much appreciated. Every leader who learns how to build their business and projects on a foundation of trust is going to reap the rewards of greater productivity, attracting the best of the best, enjoying your business more, and doing things you thought were impossible. If you want to know where you are in your trusted leader journey, I have a free resource for you. Please just go to sudico.com slash profile, S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile. And you can grab it there and find out where you are on your trusted leader journey. And so that is a wrap for today. Can't wait until I get a chance to hang out with you again next week. And until then, have a great day.